my god, I see your camera. Look how good it looks. Are we live? Yeah, you look like a fancy boy. Well, uh, are you sure it's not just me being a very fancy boy? I mean, it could be you being a fancy boy. That's true. Maybe that's just your, maybe that's just your uh, general Uber right there. Uh, hello, everyone. Hello. hello, everyone. Do let us know how the audio is because I'm using a brand new mic that I got from the company while we were all in Milwaukee. Yeah. Some, something about us all being on standardized hardware. Yes. Uh, I've also got a brand new HD webcam. Oh, my gosh. And a brand new USB light. Oh, my God. To make, what a, and what that's, a, why, that's why I look like such a fancy boy right now. What a bounty of riches. I know. I should go to Milwaukee more often. I didn't get anything. <laughs> I got zero. I got zilch. You didn't I got to spend time with you guys, though, which was oh. wonderful. Oh, you didn't get a free webcam, did you? I did not, no. I still have my very shitty webcam and my very shitty microphone, which, you know what? I'm a fan of both. I'll die. I'll get buried with these two. Fair enough. Maybe a yeah. little quiet, some people, uh, Old Hunter 77 says. Do, do. Uh, How quiet. How quiet is he? I could turn you down a bit, and then it'll uh, be... Please, please do. Okay, say things. Uh, hello. Welcome, everyone. Thank you all for being here. And we already see... Oh, Keldon, thank you so much for your super chat. Remember, uh, this show, as well as your other favorite shows in The Escapist, are funded by your incredible uh, super chats, your donations, your memberships, your patronage. Uh, get those super chats in uh, this episode, and uh, we'll read them out, as always, in the back half of the discussion. All right, then. Yeah. Gosh, it's been a while. I've almost how we do this. It has. Frost been, really uh, yeah, warmed up and like, kept their seat warm. You did, like... Three slightly something else's without me while yeah, I was we, gone. We did one Jack and two Frosts. And I was only gone nine days. I'm not even sure how that works. You were at GDC the one day. Oh, that's right. <laughs> and well, anyway. Yeah. Uh, that's right. Topics. I remember now. Mm-hmm. We talk about topics on this. And we this week we're talking about how the to make dinner. a really good gameplay loop. Yes. Which you've uh, put forward in reference to Dredge, which uh, you yeah. seem to like. I like uh, quite a bit. Yeah, I like uh, Frost loves it. Nick likes it. it Frost, Frost's uh, 3MR on it, over 110,000 views right now. So folks really? clearly interested in uh, in Dredge. And uh, you've had a chance to play it, correct? Yeah, yeah you finished I, it. Cause you, I think you told me how to get the secret ending. <laughs> actually, my review is coming out this week. Although oh I'm God, double, I'm double billing it with something else because it's not a huge game, Dredge. True. Ooh, I'm curious what you're double billing it. Is it something nautical? It's don't you don't have to tell me. Some, I, oh, I might as well tell you. I usually do <laughs> when people press. I'm d- double billing it with Chia. Oh, interesting. Have, That's kind of nautical. A, yeah, yeah. Mm. It's a sort of uh, island life recurring yeah. theme there. Less Lovecraftian horror in Chia. Well, there is a certain amount of horror. Uh, yeah, like the scary, the scary cloth men. Yeah, like the, sca- the scary Michelin man monster that eats babies springs <laughs> to mind. Incredible, but, but yes, Dredge. Uh, uh, one of the reasons why everyone seems to be liking it so much is it has a very strong core gameplay loop. And as I frequently discussed in my dev diaries and other videos, I'm very much a believer in the core loop focus, core loop focused philosophy of game design. Mm-hmm. I don't have a whole lot of track. Uh, don't have a whole lot of time for fucking uh, 
projects like Everywhere and uh, <laughs> the other one, Star Citizen. Yeah, these, yeah. With these huge scopes and absolutely no consideration for primary gameplay loop. If you're not familiar with uh, this sort of terminology, the primary loop is, in my definition, just what the player does on a moment-to-moment basis. Mm-hmm. So in Pac-Man, you would move around and eat, and eat pills would be the primary gameplay loop of Pac-Man. Also mm-hmm. avoid ghosts. Yes, that's very uh, important. Yeah, in Mario, it is the yeah. basic fundamentals of running and jumping and doing cool acrobatics. Yeah. Halo, um, it is the 30 seconds of fun of, of shooting and cycling through your weapons. The current standard for uh, 3D Mario gameplay was, of course, set by Mario 64. Mm-hmm. And uh, apparently, for a, a large portion of that game's development, it was literally just Mario in a room. I think they added a rabbit for him to chase at one point. But oh, that makes sense, game... you, have to, you have to chase rabbits in that game, so that yeah, makes sense. The... That was like the first thing you had, they added. But Nintendo are such huge believers in the primary gameplay loop. Mm-hmm. They knew they just had to get that one thing working, and then all yeah. would be well. I mean, it makes sense. It's the one thing the player does all the time, so if they're not having fun then they won't stick around for the uh, secondary and tertiary gameplay loops. Yeah, and in uh, it's uh, specifically interesting in Mario because for Mario 64, like they had to sort of build that from the ground up. You know, they weren't really mm-hmm. able to look at other examples of like, oh, all of these 3D platformers did it right, so let's try to copy what they did. They were very much like exploring kind of uncharted waters in that uh, in that respect. Well, on the one hand... Uh, maybe that was to their advantage, as they were not mm-hmm. handicapped by pre-existing prejudices. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I completely agree. And Nintendo's interesting because even with something like Mario, um, I'm, I'm replaying Mario Sunshine right now, and they have a tendency to... They've sort of... Uh, they, they created the foundation of that core gameplay loop in Mario 64, um, but with um, each kind of core mario 3d game uh they they throw one major wrench at it that that mm. gives it its own unique identity whether it's the backpack the flood backpack in uh sunshine um the sort of gravity shenanigans in galaxy or uh, yeah in i wasn't a big odyssey i was a huge fan of the primary game to loop of galaxy i mean the standard mario stuff is fine but it's all based around wiggling the wiimote to do a little spin and that used to yeah. keep my wrists in after a while I'm curious how, so that game is just, like, Mario Galaxy 1, you could just play handheld mode on Switch, and I haven't yet, but I'm like, how are you using your wrist to gather all the bits? And the well, thankfully, things? they assign it to a button in the oh, uh, Switch remake. I guess yeah. Don't look so disappointed. I like, I like, I, I, I gotta stop doing that with my hand. Nintendo my hand have always been kind of shit about this. They've never been, they've always been a sort of my way or the highway attitude to controls. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's again another game I'm playing. I'm playing through Skyward Sword now in my mm. journey of playing all the Zelda games uh, in the lead up to uh, Tears of the Kingdom, and that is another game on Switch. Uh, you can play it just where the right analog stick uh, completely, you know, uh, takes the role of all the waggling you were doing with the Wii Motion Plus controller. Mm. Um, it's still not great, but um, it's better than having to waggle. Yeah, so we all got over waggling when we were playing sports games on the Commodore 64. Where... Oh, you got over waggling very early. Yes, yes. Because that's what yeah. all the sports games were like on Commodore 64. For want yeah. of some other way to, like, 
physically try the player. Almost all of them centered around joystick waggling. Like it's a yeah. sprint. You just had to wiggle the joystick left and right as fast as you could. Yeah. And a lot of them had a similar sort of vibe. See, now those games, you would say, did not have a good gameplay loop. No. No. Because the, um, the, where the primary gameplay loop theory sort of falls down is in games that are, have a slightly more cerebral thing. Like, sure. for example, the core gameplay loop of largely menu-based games, like mm-hmm. stuff like Civilization or uh, turn-based battling in JRPGs, for example, which is yeah. where, you know, the moment-to-moment gameplay principle falls down a little bit but i'd Mm -hmm. argue that it's still worth applying the principle and if you have a game that's where it just feels really satisfying to navigate menus like say you say it are we going to talk about persona i might have been talking about persona 5 yes (laughs) Uh, then uh, that can really uh, be a strong selling point for the game even if the actual meat and potatoes of the gameplay takes place on secondary and third loops in that case. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that's what I wanted to, I guess, like to, I, I think a lot of the audience probably, because we've talked about that and Jamate's certainly talked about the, the sort of the three tiers of gameplay loops, but mm. the primary gameplay loop, like if we want to break it down to, say, Mario Sunshine, which I'm playing right now, the yeah. core gameplay, the primary gameplay loop would be physically controlling Mario and yeah. using Flood. Moving, and, moving around using the yeah. Flood. Yeah. And the second then, gameplay loop, well, the uh, the rule of thumb for me for loops is primary gameplay loop is second to second, secondary mm-hmm. is minute to minute, okay. and tertiary is hour to hour. Ooh, I like that. That's d- doesn't really apply if you break it, if you like examine a lot of games, but it's yeah. a good way of thinking about it. Yeah. So, what so the secondary do- loop would be like the actual, like, I want to get this shine. And so it yeah. is the what yeah. you are doing to get this one to complete this one goal whereas the tertiary loop would be i need to collect 15 shines to unlock the next part of the island so that is yeah, sort of your your meta goal it's almost always tied to progress in some way yeah you yeah. do the one thing over and over again to do the second thing and if you do the second thing over and over again it does the third thing yeah and i think having those three things kind of fold into each other and feed into each other is what makes, you know, for a, a really satisfying gameplay loop. And you, you know, we, you, you joked about persona, but um, you know, persona is one of those RPGs and, and a lot of the other games um, that we're going to talk about are uh, to me, like the great gameplay loop is where you, you are constantly like, well, let, let me just play a little bit more, like a little bit more. Like, I know I should go to bed. I know I, I should stop playing right now, but if I play a little bit more, I could get a little more in and, um, not in like a gross uh, addicting way, which, you know, mobile games, a lot of them free to play games will sort of um, weaponize gameplay loops um, mm. and, and try to get money out of you by being like, well, you finished your loop. But in order to have another loop, you need to pay 99 cents worth of sunshine energy. Um, what seems but, to work uh, really well in uh, loop focus game design is the sort of day cycle. Yes. Like in Persona 5. uh and all the other Persona games, really. You mm-hmm. end a day, and it's hard to feel like you want to stop. Mm-hmm. Because you get to start the, hey, we're starting a new day. We can do things. We have things on our yeah. agenda. And if you get... And uh, it's very canny design, that. You can see it in stuff like Stardew Valley and Harvest Moon as well. It's very hard to stop yeah. playing. Because you finish the day, you finish all your chores. The first thing you do is you go to bed. And that would be a natural mm-hmm. stopping point. But then the game goes straight on to the next morning. And suddenly there's this sense of all these new things you have to do and you get pulled along in each one 
I wanted to have like a day-night cycle for Starstruck Vagabond for that reason, because it seemed to work f- for those games. But then it, it didn't really work with what I was trying to do. Yeah. So in place of that, what I'm doing in that game uh, is that when you finish a delivery, the game immediately gives you another one. Okay. So you, you like, you, because my games are, Star Trek Vagabond's based around delivering crates mm-hmm. as a primary loop. You deliver a crate to their destination and the game goes, hey, here's your next job. If you take it right now, we'll drop the crates right now and you can load them on your elevator right now and be on yeah. your merry way. Because the important thing to note is that it's a loop. It feeds <sighs> into itself. It goes on and on and on. Yeah, yeah, like the the calendar system of like you mentioned, Stardew Valley or, or mm. Persona. Um, you know that could be broken up in ways like you like you said these kind of micro goals. And uh, you know we have Death Stranding featured in the art, and you're speaking about delivery, and that kind of reminds me of that where you know Death Stranding isn't oh just one more day, but for me it's oh just one more delivery, yeah. or something like Metal Gear Solid Five is like oh just one more one more small mission. So I feel like the in order to like have a really enticing gameplay loop for me, you need to top things down into um like consumable bite-sized portions i guess as opposed to just being like i have this one goal and it is very large and it's going to take me several hours to complete but having these kind of micro goals along the way and and finishing each one gives you a little bit of endorphin rush but also you know inches your progress in those larger goals uh is the thing that that you know really stays satisfying in in any of the aforementioned games it's very easy to overwhelm the player by just throwing them in a world with too much to do. I think there's a lot of yeah. I've played a lot of indie life sims that make that mistake. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, in Stardew Valley, you're in a village, and the first thing you need to do is explore the whole village and see the potential of everything you can do, etc. But that's uh, missing the point. the The first thing you do in Stardew Valley is they give you some parsnip seeds, and you plant them, and you grow some. That mm-hmm. if you worry too much about all the other stuff, then you'll quickly uh, fall off it i find but if you just focus yeah. on planting some parsnips and growing them and seeing how you do things unfold nicely and naturally and a similar thing yeah. happens with dredge dredge yeah, has a whole absolutely. ocean to explore right from the beginning but at the very very beginning you're too slow to go very far and the game just goes hey catch some fish and bring them back mm-hmm. and you do and that's uh, that begins the whole sequence of loops yeah, and Dredge also has the sort of day-night cycle where where you you yeah. you know rest up for the night and and set back off during the day. Catch fish, make money, use the money to improve your ability to catch fish. Everything comes back to the primary gameplay loop in that way. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Yeah, and it's uh, Dredge specifically. One of the things that's so satisfying about the loop for me is... Um, how you you tangibly see the results of you getting better and and stronger and building your boat and and making progress and it's not just like oh your attacks do this much more damage and you know it's it, like it's kind of that nebulous thing which mm. you know we talk about in the the gear grind of games where you get oh plus five percent frost damage like that doesn't do anything to me but no. dredge is so great because like when I when you first set off for 
like the town that's just across the bay. It's kind of scary to make that trek because your boat yeah. is slow and you don't know what's going on at night. And like just that distance is scary. And then you slowly build up a little bit to go to the next island. And that distance is scary, but then you become comfortable with that. But then when you go to the next place, that becomes scary, but you become more and more comfortable with that. And yeah, part see, of that loop was seeing the, the you know, the, the seeds of, of my actions blossom. This will come up in my review this week, but uh, mm-hmm. it's almost to a fault that by the time you get to the end of Dredge, all, everything almost feels too comfortable. Yeah. Like, your boat's as fast as it can get, it's really efficient, you've been everywhere, and yeah. uh, you almost get this sort of second-order sense of horror when you realise how normalised all of this shit has become for you. Yeah, yeah. And maybe that's, like, part of the... And, and also, maybe that's the... Um, I guess you weren't here. I, I think Jack and I, in our episode, we were talking about satisfying endings, and maybe that's mechanically is satisfying that you've kind of overcome your fear of the deep. But yeah. like you said, in in doing that... Should you like the fact that you've normalized these Lovecraftian terrors? Like, is that something that should be scary in and of itself? Possibly. Yeah. When you think about it on the like the uh, the meta analysis level, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about primary uh, gameplay loops in the sense of uh, what they actually do, what they actually make mm-hmm. the player do, because this is something I'm very interested in. This is something. This is like a guiding principle when I was working on my dev diary games. When I was making 12 games in 12 years, I wasn't trying to think of what kind of game do I want to make. I was trying to think, what's a fun or interesting moment-to-moment thing that people do, or that's interesting to watch in a film or like a sporting event, that Mm -hmm. we can recreate with video game-style controls? And that's how, uh, for one thing, for example, I uh, explored the concept of uh Hogpocalypse Sow, which was based around the concept of gun katar that you see in uh-huh. that uh Keanu Reeves film Equilibrium. Oh Christian yeah. Bale. Yeah. I get confused by my sunglasses wearer, trench coat wearing protagonists <laughs> in nineties action films. It feels like you could very much draw a line from Matrix to Equilibrium to John Wick, so it feels yeah. like those are all cut from the same cloth. Yeah, but the the way I saw like uh Gun Katar how it was interesting was that the it was basically based around spinning around, left spinning left, spinning right in interesting ways and finding new targets with each thing. Mm-hmm. So I was trying to evoke that with the controls of Hogpocalypse Sow, where you uh, rotate the character to line up uh, with an enemy, and uh, you can quick turn and uh, use both hands because there's two different enemies and each enemy can only be killed by one of your guns. Like, you had a blue gun okay. and an orange gun. The blue gun only kills blue dudes. The orange gun only kills orange dudes. So you have to continually switch hands and spin around and change targets. And whether or not I was successful is... Uh, I leave to history to decide. <laughs> but that's... New- yeah, that's what, what what you're talking about is sort of reducing the thing you do down to almost an atomic level. Like, something that is very simple that can be described in a single sentence like that. Yeah. And the other one that was... Sorry, my webcam's acting up all of a sudden. Oh, no. Oh, I'm getting a no, little no. shaky head going on. Oh, no. This is why we don't get new things. This is why change is scary. Uh, hang on. Let me see if I can fix that. Oh, I'm looking now. It is scary. I don't like that at all. 
Yeah. Get that out of here. (laughs) How's that? Um, Chat is a little scary. If you were scary. Looks better on my end. I just had to drop the resolution down a bit. There you go. Too many Chrome tabs open? Uh, Okay, I'll close Chrome and see if that helps. Honestly, that's probably a good way to fix everything in uh, in in when you're using a PC. All right. Well, it seems to be fairly easy to fix at any rate. So yeah, the other Dev Diary game where I took the uh, seeing a thing that seems like a cool thing to do principle was Casey Joint, which was the hacking game. Okay. Except it wasn't really hacking. It was just various mini games based around mashing the keyboard. Okay. And the idea was that mashing the keyboard, pretending to be a super cool hacker. And seeing, like, like the interface saying, "Oh, you successfully hacked. You are really good yeah. at hacking." Over and over again, was you're just of, looking like someone from Hackers that's just yeah, slamming down on to the create keyboard. a sort of immediate visceral appeal of yeah. like movie, uh, cinematic movie hacking. Yeah. And yeah, well, it's that, funny. Yeah, because I feel like a lot of game design these days is just taking other games' principles that already exist and have proven to work. And just putting your own spin on it or adding one thing. And I found it more useful to sort of go back to the core principle of what's a satisfying thing to do with your hands. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's uh, an interesting thing about the gameplay loops like that, though, is so you can, um, you know, you can distill that single idea down to its to its um, most basic level. And then that is the that's the kernel for your game. Um but even once you have that down, like, are there games you think that have good gameplay loops that just don't coalesce in the end? Like, is there, like, once you have a good gameplay loop down, like, what's next? Like, what, like, is that where you start, if you're thinking of the primary loop, is that when you start building the secondary and tertiary loops? Or is that when you start folding in, okay, we have the loop down, now we need to make it aesthetically pleasing or think about, like, what the challenge curve of this thing is going to be? Well, uh, all of that will come, of course. Mm-hmm. I think the most important thing that's happening again, sorry. Uh, we'll find some combination of settings yeah. <laughs> where it all works. Don't you worry. Because yeah. it's even like, I, I think about like games, I don't think a core gameplay loop, like having a great core gameplay loop is, um, is the end all be all or necessary for a game to be good. Because, like, when I look back at some of my favorite games of the past, whatever, how many years, um, I think of something like Journey, which is this incredible experience, but, like, is kind of, uh, I guess, cinematic in its in its um, appeal, in that the appeal from it is going on the full journey, like, not no pun intended, but is going from point A to point B, and less about the things I am doing in the moment to moment that that kind of repeat um whereas you know roguelikes are are a prime example of games that are built on the core gameplay loop anything from mm. uh spelunky to binding of isaac to slay the spire to uh you know hades uh uh cult of the lamb like these are games that uh they they live and die by how that core gameplay loop feels in the moment to moment and then at that secondary or tertiary level um loop into the other systems to kind of feed in and and make you want to you know get that consistent endorphin rush where you keep wanting to play and play well 
obviously there's a lot of games uh, that rely on a story. Mm-hmm. And the story needs to get the full effects to pay off. I mean, uh, point-click adventure games don't have a terribly strong core gameplay loop. Yeah. You can do a certain amount with it, like a fun walking animation, mm-hmm. or just satisfying clicks and stuff. But ultimately, people are there for the story. And I think it's true that you kind of you kind of need a certain amount uh, mm-hmm. of the secondary and tertiary. I certainly do. I mean, I'm a person who likes, appreciates a story in a game. <clears throat> yeah. And I've played roguelikes, but I can't really enjoy a roguelike if I don't feel like it's working towards something. Like, I enjoy playing Hades because it's always, you always got the, the bigger picture on top of mm-hmm. things. I think, I think, like, a really strong game engages in multiple loops and because your brain is also simultaneously engaging in multiple loops. Mm-hmm. Uh, like the core one to keep you interested from the moment to moment level but and then something to make it all feel worthwhile in the end yeah yeah it's almost like planets separate planets orbiting a, a, a single celestial body all at like kind yeah. of different speeds but they're all they're all circling around something um and uh, speaking of planets one an interesting one when when i was thinking about this topic was um for me outer wilds and that was less in the like you know physical gameplay of it um which is you know good but simple and more in the how at the end of every loop like actual time loop in the universe yeah, actual literal loops in that yeah <laughs> yeah i mean that's time loops are a whole separate thing but it feels like you know in that game you're not gaining abilities or skills or new power-ups um you're gaining knowledge and knowledge is the thing when you start the next loop, the thing you have is knowledge of how a place works or the rules of a specific planet or a shortcut for how to get to somewhere faster or, you know, uh, how these two separate places tie together thematically or maybe even, you know, mechanically. Uh, and it's that kind of like like walking away, like having your knowledge grow to me is like one of the most enticing gameplay things someone uh i believe it was a game designer nick sutner coined the term uh metroid brainia for games where you uh you know kind of like the metroidvania uh route of giving you new abilities that allows you to backtrack and uh, unlock new pieces of the world but instead Mm. that comes from knowledge which is kind of what like the witness had and and other games of its ilk sort of a similar principle in uh dark souls and souls likes with the the combat systems it's not about having the best stuff it's about learning it's about getting good it's about learning the muscle memory and yeah yeah techniques i i once said an explanation i feel like i got this term from somewhere but i can't remember where that there's soft challenge and there's hard challenge soft challenge is you grind up to make your numbers higher so that you can combat the enemy you get better equipment and that's what matters ultimately is that you're using mm-hmm. the best equipment against the enemy and hard challenge is uh, actually developing your own personal skills yeah to get through things and i guess the same applies to um whether or not uh, the metroidvania versus metroidbrainia as you put it whether yeah, you're yeah. literally unlocking keys to open doors mm-hmm. in the soft challenge way or uh, developing the knowledge uh, to proceed yeah intrinsic versus extrinsic like yeah, well, i refers to it. i think that was the term i was looking for yeah good uh good way to put it yeah that's what like 
I don't know, the first time I, I fight a boss in a Souls game, unless I luck out and manage to beat it the first try, it is usually I'm like, I know I'm going to lose. I just want to learn something from this fight. Yeah. I want to see what this thing moves like. I want to see what its attacks are like. I want to sort of be able to come in next time and formulate some sort of plan. Of, in that uh, moment, we are Batman. Yes, exactly. We are Batman. Batman loses on his first go, but then he has, but now he's got time to prep. He he wins on his second go because he learned things. It's a bummer his parents didn't have that ability because they lost on their first go and they did not get another try. So that's that's yeah. That's that's I guess that's the flaw in the um, yeah in the Batman principle. Yeah, Um, Uh I have learned how to not die from being shot in the face (laughs) outside of my screening of Zorro. Uh, The uh, yeah, and and sort of you know going out on the uh, metroidvania thing i think one of the reasons that that genre has become uh so popular over the years is uh at least for me i get this real sense of gratification when uh i'm making my way through a world and i i, I sort of mentally make a check of there is a ledge here that is too high mm. and i'm gonna need to come back to it at some point I, and then I keep an hour or so down the road are. see that's the uh, another problem is like how do you keep to, like there's two spectrums. There's a, a game that makes you remember where everything is. And then there's the game. I think like Guacamelee is a game that just color codes on your map. Uh, oh, we'll just put a little blue bar here and eventually you'll get the item and you can just look at your thing and go back and clear all the blue bar areas. And I feel See, like there's I, a, a, I'm in two a minds about that happy sort medium of thing. somewhere there. I'm in two minds about that sort of thing. I mean, it's nice uh, uh, that it's convenient that you have that feature. But um, are you, like, depriving the player of something by just making it so that they can just instantly see where to go? In my mind, I think the best way to do is... Like, I'm kind of a sucker for games that um, give you a rough outline of a map, but for specifics, um, they put that in your hands. Um, Mm. And there's, like, you know, like, uh, Breath of the Wild has a map where you put down a bunch of different markers, and so... You have your your basic map, but then you can put down uh, different you know points of interest, different with different symbols and everything. You kind of create your own legend, um, and uh, a similar thing in like the Etrian Odyssey uh, uh, dungeon crawler games, where you are literally drawing out your map, and 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 so if <laughs> I think the, the cool. more time you put into it, then the the handier it is going forward. I think it'd be kind of cool if a game gave you the option of drawing your own map. At least that's what yeah. The Persona Q games, those are the ones built on Etrian Odyssey. That's, those are the first games I played in that series where you do that. And I know a lot of people didn't like it, but I, I, for those two games, I thought it was really neat because it felt like you were, you know, a partial cartographer. Yeah. Or, or detective games or something. Like, yeah, just, just yeah. Give us, just give us some kind of interface where we can write whatever we want and draw whatever we want with the mouse or whatever. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then give us the option of turning off auto-mapping and uh, auto-filling in important clues in a detective game. Yeah, and I feel like that would, yeah, and that would also sort of uh, alleviate the the um, apathy that comes from getting into a new area in a game and seeing your map just overloaded with a bunch of uh, symbols of points of interest, like sort of the horizon thing. Yeah, you mentioned Breath of the Wild. Just flooded. Yeah, what makes Breath of the Wild work is not that there's a map, but that uh, if you get onto a high place, you can actually see the things to go to. And I always compare that to um, Ubisoft's one with the shitty title, Phoenix Rising. Oh, yeah. Where Immortals. they had something like that, but mm-hmm. 
you just have to stare at something that, as far as you could tell, contained nothing. But yeah. then an icon appeared. So, oh, there's a secret pick up there. And then you just yeah. got to like, do a complete circuit of the environment and mark every single thing, and it just turned into busy work. Yeah, it seems like uh, with a mechanic like that, there's like a certain level of, of risk or trust that Nintendo put in the player that I imagine you know, Ubisoft-focused-tested games don't mm. have because they're like, ooh, but what if uh, this section of the audience uh, needs their hand held more or this section of the audience, you know, doesn't want to engage in the cartography? So let's just uh, have them look at the thing and then we'll do the rest of the work. Which well, fuck them. They can go I and agree. play The Murder of Sonic the Hedgehog or something. Have you played that yet? Yeah, I'm actually um, writing a review of it because I got home from Milwaukee on like Thursday at midnight and I had one day yeah. to play a game. So I settled on playing The Murder of Sonic the Hedgehog and happily I found happily I had things to say about it. So Incredible. Uh, there we go. I am very excited about that. Um you really I'm gonna be honest, you really threw me for a loop by by talking about uh, the murder of Sonic the Hedgehog. I was well I'm sure that. we can talk about it more later on. Uh one other uh I don't even know if this is related to uh gameplay loops but a thing that i jotted down again playing through skyward sword recently is uh i've, I've been playing through all the zelda games and in most of them uh rupees kind of don't matter like your currency doesn't matter and so that like like gaining money to me almost uh became a thing outside of the primary gameplay loop whereas in skyward sword it's the first game where I don't know. It just feels like the the amount of items and uh, the amount I want them and their price uh, are, are there's always uh, something I want, but I can't get everything. Mm. And I think that's an important thing in some of these games, even going back to days in Persona or days in Stardew Valley is you can't do everything you want in this small chunk of time in this mm. single loop. And so it's with that that you you want to do another loop and you want to go out a little bit more because um you keep kind of coming back and saying like oh well i wanted to do x y and z today i only had time for x and y so tomorrow i could do z but then i can also fit in a but i wouldn't be able to fit in b so i can give it one more day to do that and i think that's one of those things that keeps me coming back to those games you know playing just five more minutes just five more minutes i think a lot of games uh make a mistake in having like a currency system that they can use to reward the player with, mm -hmm. but not having things that the player wants to buy with that currency. Yeah. <laughs> and at a certain point, you're like, why do I have all this money? What is the point yeah. of this? Yeah. Yeah. Because you can, you can sort of spark the lizard brain by just giving them some points or money. But yeah. ultimately, it's better to have something they can spend it on to work towards, as you say, to work towards their tertiary loops or whatever. I've always felt yeah, like... Uh, okay. The ideal thing you should do in a post-ending mode is mm -hmm. unlock something in the game store that costs like a ridiculous amount of money. Is that kind of like the Resident Evil 4? Well, I was about to say, nice yeah. Game. Resident Evil yeah. 4 demonstrates that principle because you can, in your second playthrough, you can buy an infinite rocket launcher, but it costs something ridiculous, like $2 million. Yeah. And that gives you something to strive for. Because you one last thing to to grind for to have some stupid fun at the yeah. end. Yeah. And Resident Evil also does the smart thing of you, you know, 
I, I, I don't know, maybe it's only if you've played the game before and know how the store system works, but your first time through, you have this risk reward of, do I want to upgrade, spend my money to upgrade these weaker guns, knowing that at a certain point halfway through the game, there will be better guns and I'm going to throw these to the side. So do I want to have like sort of my short term be easier or do I want the next couple hours to be tougher in exchange for being able to, you know, jump right into these better guns um, halfway through the game. And I, I, I think that's yeah. uh, Resident Evil handles money really well in that. Yeah. Um, I think in Resident Evil 4, the remake at least, they specifically say, Hey, if you sell the gun after upgrading it, don't worry, you'll get all the money back because it'll sell. Oh, is that more. right? Oh. I, think I, I think I remember the game saying that. Whether or not it was telling the truth, I couldn't attest to. But you certainly <laughs> can sell fully upgraded guns for a significant for amount. A lot of money. Give you a yeah. decent head start on the next gun you want. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's interesting. <clears throat> shall we go to Super Chats? Uh, we shall. We have, a, we have a bunch already. Although, actually, now that you're mentioning it, one thing I really didn't like was the Ratchet and Clank system, where weapons get better the more you use them. I do like that. Why but, Why don't you like that? Because what always happens is that I upgrade the weapons I really like, but then I think, oh, wait, experience is now wasted on these guns. I need yeah. to upgrade all the shitty guns I never use. Otherwise, it yeah. would be a waste of experience. Yeah. So you're no longer using the guns you enjoy using because yeah. they're fully upgraded. And instead, you're like, well, I'll use the shitty disco ball that I don't care about because something maybe needs to be upgraded. Maybe that speaks to a certain mindset of player. I mean, some people just don't want to feel like they're wasting experience points they'll never get back. Yeah. No, it's a decent, especially if you're just like, um, it's, so I've, I've gotten back, with the weather getting nicer, I've gotten back into Pokemon Go. And one thing with Pokemon Go is you you can put eggs in incubators. And depending on the egg, it'll open after you've walked two kilometers, five kilometers, or ten kilometers. And the thing is, you should always have an egg in an incubator because I'm always going to be walking with my phone. And so if I don't have an egg, that's just a waste of walking. Exactly. I mean, I guess I can walking is good and getting from point A to point B is good. But if I'm not if I'm not uh, hatching eggs, what's the point? That's how yeah, I feel well, about real life as well. Yeah, the weather's gotten nicer, hasn't it? I mean, you guys really came like a bad week because it I know. is fucking gorgeous. It, feels, it is like 70 and gorgeous now for that. I know, week. it feels like spring is just like dunked winter yeah. in like <laughs> overnight or something because yeah. i got back to i got back to california uh after the trip and it was still cold for a couple of days but then it was just a beautiful easter sunday it was nice yeah. and warm and we were all going out in sandals and with no coat it's perfect yeah it's just season went the seasons went oh now we're done flip <laughs> <laughs> on a dime but anyway James Tarn, member for 12 months in early access, says, Caught it live. Welcome back, Yahtzee. Thank you, James Tarn. Thank you, James. Uh, Gelden Yetich gives $5 and says, Thanks for this topic. I've been trying to corner my primary gameplay loop. The dev diary on this topic is great. I'm interested in hearing more. Well, as I say, Gelden Yetich, think about what's fun to do. Think about something that looks like fun. I mean, what's a platformer? It's That's probably someone watched someone doing gymnastics really well on TV and thought, wouldn't it be great if I could do that? Yeah, that's platform. Papers, please. Is like, what if I was a border agent? Look how, how mu look how much fun that would be. I know. But Papers, please came about when someone said, "Ah, what if I could exert petty authority to for my own sick self gratification?" <laughs> and that's why. And then a legend was born. There you go. The dogmatic director, member for eleven months in bonus content, says, "Welcome back, Yahtzee. Hope you had a good trip. How different was it playing Adventures Nine in person with everyone over playing over Zoom?" 
it's well besides the fact that we could all reach over and slap each other if we weren't happy with what we were doing i guess you'd have to watch the series to see what difference it makes but it certainly felt like the the chemistry was very natural Mm-hmm. especially when me and jesse were just sort of making eye contact over the table and arguing over whether we should lie to the next person or not i'm gonna be honest it feels like you probably uh always landed on the side of yeah we should lie to the next person well that was that's that's just role playing that's just good role play. oh incidentally look what i brought back Have we all got one of these? Uh, Jack gave us them. I think they were 3D printed from a friend of Jim Mates. Mm-hmm. Um, just it was mind. it was very it was very nice being in the room when you guys when you guys got those. It was very sweet. He's got his uh, foot on a disembodied noble's head because he because he's a criminal, I guess, <laughs> which uh, sort of makes things bad for rich people. I get that yeah, that was the logic. Go. Like a Robin Hood. There you go. Yeah. Well, he's halfway to being Robin Hood. He robs from the rich. Then be and that's it. Oh, yeah, <laughs> there's no giving to the poor. <laughs> yeah. Half su- of the primary gameplay loop of, there of you go. Robin Hood. A superb owner gives $5 and says, I have work and can't listen live, but wanted to say welcome back, Yards. Don't forget to recommend the game's focus on the primary gameplay loop. I did that very much. A superb owner. And welcome to Tip Jar as well. Ooh. Uh, Wesley Thomas gives five fifty Canadian dollars. It says once again I bring up my letterbox, and once again this group finds a way to change the bloody subject. Oh, that's a quote from my latest novel, Existentially Challenged, now available in print and soon to be available in ebook and Kindle forms. And Electronic course, book, and of course it's been in audiobook format for ages. Incredible. <clears throat> Alex Armstrong gives $5 and says, Having liked Hi-Fi Rush, any chance you can tell us how that game did rhythm action better than No Straight Roads, considering how similar they are? Well, they're not that similar, Alex Armstrong. No Straight Roads is a uh, primary gameplay loop uh, kind of fell down for me. Because it's only rhythm action in the sense that the enemies and their projectiles are in rhythm, but you're not obliged to act in rhythm yourself. Oh. And for me, that didn't work so well. The, the rhythm in Hi-Fi Rush runs through absolutely everything, right down to the background animations for the environment. Yeah, it is. Uh, it, you definitely feel like you are a part of the beat. And isn't uh, Alex Armstrong also two down uh, with two dollars? Said speaking of uh, no straight roads, isn't that a rhythm game that you hate? Did you say, would you say you hated that game? I didn't hate it, and I question calling it a rhythm game because, as I say, you're not obliged to act in a rhythm. Yeah, uh, and I think it's very imaginative in a No More Heroesy sort of way. But I just didn't really get on with the core gameplay. There you go. But yeah, since you mentioned it, I, did, I said in my Hi-Fi Rush review that uh, I'm hard-pressed to think of a rhythm action game I didn't like. But after I published it, I remembered I did have one. There was an indie game called Soundfall. Did you did you play that? Uh, I didn't, no. I know I know of it. I think uh, Will might have reviewed it for us. And I, I took a look at that 3MR. Yeah, it's a rhythm game with a sort of top-down hack and slash sort of thing, and I didn't really like it. So there you go. And that's one of the games that you uh, you feed in your own soundtrack, right? Yes. Or did I make that up? Yeah. Or that you can like, link it to Spotify yes, or something like that. I think you can like do that. that. Yeah. There you go. Hashtag guess, not all I rhythm guess games. I guess there's no reason not to do that if you can adjust the 
the timing of the tones and all that. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I'm just adjusting the webcam again. Oh, no, it's buggering up. Oh, no. Uh, while you're doing that, I'll continue reading um, Super Chats. Joseph Harris, thank you so much in early access. Just started Persona 5. Finally get everything that Yahtzee has praised. Yeah, good, isn't it? It's a good game. It's a good game. Also, big news. Um, whether it's true or not, footage leaked of a supposed uh, Persona 5 or Persona 3 remaster. It makes it look very much in line with Persona 5. That's a game that's been rumored for quite some time, sort of bringing Persona 3 into the Persona 5 engine, uh, which is going to be even more confusing because there's so many versions of Persona 3. I know. Um, it's it's going to make but, things uh, yeah. more depressing. Because Persona, uh, yeah, like, Persona 3 was the depressing one before they all <clears> got really upbeat and happy. Yeah, I mean, they, they summon their Personas by literally holding a gun to their head and... and pulling the trigger and that's where the yeah. personas come from but it that leak also it, showed footage of a jet set radio uh remake or remaster a new game and let me tell you i'm all here for that isn't that bomb rush cyber funk it is but this is uh made by the, the sega i don't know who knows i, want, I want more games where i could just uh, uh, graffiti the cops so let me oh, do what's that. the deal with that mobile one persona 5x I've been watching a lot of footage of it. There's no word if it's going to leave China, which is very strange. Um, uh-huh. It is. It is so weird that that game exists, though, because like it looks like they put in the effort to like make a real Persona game, but then it's just uh, the the core progression is just loaded with microtransaction bullshit. Uh, from the trailers, yeah. it just looks like they've made Persona Five again, but with yeah, entirely like, different visually, it's pretty impressive. And I like that the Velvet Room is in like a like surrounded by like you're almost like in an underwater aquarium. And it's like surrounded by uh, mm. there's a bunch of like fish and, and maritime life around you. Herb Floor NM gives ten PLNs and says, "OMG, yachts in HD and staring right into our souls." Well, as long as I can get a handle on why it keeps stuttering on me, why you keep doing the Jacob's Ladder thing? Yeah, I'm just uh, every time it happens, I just switch to a different setting, and I guess we'll figure it out by trial and error. There you go. <coughs> Excuse me. Mm-hmm. A bit of a sore throat over the weekend. Must have been all those fried cheese curds. <laughs> Don't you dare uh, blame the cheese curds. Doran Grossman Nipples gives $5 and says, Spirit Pharaoh makes great use of gameplay loops by abruptly cutting them off. It's a punch in the stomach since you've grown to expect that continuity. Yeah, it's another day-night cycle game, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And another one where... Um all of its uh, disparate systems feed back into a central sense of progression, you know, whether it's um, exploring the seas or the individual levels or grinding for resources, building your ship. uh, I kind of like how how every morning you have to ring the bell. So do I. It's a a little thing, but it's nice that, you know, you wake up and think, oh, well, time to go. Time to kick off the today's schedule. Ding. Yeah. Right. It, do, you even, do you even have to ring the bell? I think they get up by themselves at some point. Yeah, but I did it. Like, it's, yeah. I don't know. It feels good. It's almost like if you have a morning routine where you, you know, you, you wake up and you pour a cup of coffee and you check headlines or something. And it's like that equivalent of, uh, but, but in every day in the game. I like it. I said the same thing about Animal Crossing. It can be very effective to give the player a sense of responsibility over uh, their community. 
Yeah, yeah. Says, you got to ring this bell. That's your job. Yeah. you got to do your job or you're letting everyone down. <laughs> uh, Humane Shield gives 199, says, going Max Headroom, in reference to my new webcam stuttery problems. Oh, no. <laughs> Though I think it seems to be fixed for now. There you go. I switched it to 1080p and changed some of the... Changed the setting on one of the drop-downs to something else. That meant absolutely nothing to me, but whatever it was, it seems to have helped. For the time being. Uh, Pirate Captain Jack gives $5 and says, Yahtzee, pariah of masculinity. Would you consider Wind Waker a standout in sailing games for gameplay loops? Yes. Thanks for the question, Pirate Captain Jack. <laughs> now, I remember Wind Waker was like the first Zelda game I really liked. Oh, wow. Because uh, I played it on the GameCube way back when, mm-hmm. and I was, and when you think back to that game, the first thing you think of is sailing across the ocean while that sp- specific music plays. Yeah, etc. Yeah, it has a, the, it has a really good like feeling of the Call of Adventure. And if it's the first thing you think of, you know it's a strong primary loop. Yeah, that is true. Could you? that's interesting so can primary loops only exist in certain portions of a game because like the sailing across the ocean is a primary loop until you get to a destination and then you get off your boat and for a while that is no longer a primary loop well, so i don't see equivalent you know, of games that have like halves to them like cult of the lamb or something like yeah, that yeah plenty of games have multiple primary loops that they switch between i mean mm-hmm. persona 5 as you mentioned yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, is has a very notable dual gameplay system where you switch from dungeon crawling to day-to-day life sim stuff and they both have their own strengths i would argue most triple a games have multiple primary gameplay loops that they switch between these days when it's not like pac-man yeah i guess you're there's no longer arcade games where you have although the, when a game does have although when a game does have one loop that it focuses on extremely well and makes the most of like something like dredge it's always mm-hmm. makes the game something of a standout it's yeah of yeah elegance of design which is something i've always prized yeah there's nothing more to add nothing more to take away elegant and i feel that way recently um about pizza tower in a way that it has um each stage is composed of sort of two disparate halves and you have the first half of the stage where you are uh, exploring and experimenting and, and puzzle solving and learning the map and then when you, you reach your goal uh the level comes crashing down and you have x amount of minutes to use everything you learned in that first half to to book it back to the entrance to just get the hell out of there i just um, get lost I just get lost and follow the little man who shows you where to go. I like the, yeah, there's the man who's continuing to be like, go this way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they feel, those two halves feel very different. Like my pace, unless I, you know, I, I haven't, I'm not like a speedrunner at it or anything. Well, my pace is very different in those. And I'm very methodical in the first half. And then I'm like, oh God, can I remember what I just did so I can just get the hell out of this place before I become a, a, a pizza murdered? I just find that all a bit too stressful. Oh, but the pizza, for the love of the pizza. Uh, you know, just get just get it from somewhere else. I mean, it's hard to fuck up pizza. <laughs> anyway. Do you have good pizza? What's that? You had good pizza in Milwaukee. Oh yes, 
the, the place where we met Rich Evans was a really good pizza place that Jack knew. Did Rich Evans own the pizza place? No. Okay, that would have been exciting. But anyway, that's a story mm. for another time. <laughs> Humane Shield goes one ninety nine and says Lucas Pope is good at merging gameplay and story. I know, right? Well, what I like about Lucas Pope's stuff is that the story usually unfolds in uh, in the background. Yeah. And the the gameplay loop is mainly focusing on some bureaucratic task or puzzle. Especially in Papers, Please and Dobra Din. Yeah, it's surprisingly tough to um, have those two parts of a game um, really work in unison. Because I feel like uh, in AAA games, uh, almost all of them, by and large, are bad at that. Even the games I like. Um, there's nothing about the story sections of The Last of Us that really speak to the gameplay sections of them. Well, what Lucas Pope does very well is that using a gameplay style that sort of requires you to understand the story, especially in Oprah Dinn, yeah. in order yeah. to, you have to demonstrate understanding of the text to win the puzzles. Yeah. And like a lot of detective games, that's why I've felt like detective games are really good for storytelling because the player has to pay attention in order to pass the challenges. And Papers, Please, that, you you know, similar sort of principle. You have to pay attention to the the smallest details of these people's forms in that's order why I'm to kind of, uh, succeed. That's why I'm kind of surprised you didn't um, you didn't get on with uh, Immortality. Because in my mind, it is well, very much cut from the same cloth as those. Well, I like to see a gameplay system that runs like a well-oiled machine. And that's what Oberdin feels like. You you have you engage with the story, and because you're engaged, you can solve the puzzles. Immortality doesn't have the second part. I, I I want immortality to have like some kind of gameplay challenge that I have to have paid attention to the films to be able to succeed at. You you, you I, don't know that to click on that one glass in the corner because it's important in another scene. I'm an old fashioned gameplay sort of person i like to get a little pat on the back for the game saying good job you good job you figured this out here is a prize when you said i'm an old-fashioned i thought you were gonna say i'm an old fascist and i was gonna be like where are we going here i'm glad you said you're old-fashioned that's much better than being an old-fashioned yes i like drinking old fashions as well there you go perfect uh john connor member for 13 months in tip jar thank you john and Jackson Jewell, member for 10 months in Early Access, says, Yahtzee, does Early Access get me the new book too? I'm afraid not. You'll have to go to your preferred book retailer uh, to get a copy of my latest novel, Existentially Challenged, now in print. Uh, there aren't any left in the Barnes & Noble in the Mayfair at Milwaukee, I can tell you that. What a we mall. Went, we went there and looked. They only oh had a couple of uh, My Galaxy for Food books. I went to a press screening of Peter Jackson's King Kong at that movie theater in that mall. It was great. Let me tell you. Wow. Oh my God. The glamour such of, a large, the glamour of such Hollywood. A large the glamour of Hollywood premieres at your local <laughs> Milwaukee Mayfair. Uh, also, John Connor, under his tip jar, um, had a question. What is What was your favorite culinary experience in Milwaukee? Ooh. Well, I know Amy was complaining that we got we ended up getting sandwiches pretty much everywhere we went. You know who wasn't complaining about that? Casey. Casey yeah. loves sandwiches. I'll bet. <laughs> um, 
Well, we went to a lovely uh, frozen custard place. That had the cops, I think it was. Cops, yeah. Yes. That's, that's famous. We had some fancy burgers there. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, uh, Jack took us to a, a spy restaurant. You were there. That's right, yeah. To a, a spy-themed restaurant. Mm-hmm. Where uh, you had to like go through an antechamber where some dude made you embarrass yourself, but then you had to go through a secret door, and then get to see that everyone who was in the restaurant was watching you on a monitor and laughing. Yeah, I was that filming was... the monitor the whole time. I have I have footage that I will sell it to the highest bidder. That was a fun experience. The food was kind of mm-hmm. shit, but uh, the experience I mean, was what you're yeah. there for, wasn't it? The restaurant's pretty much an Applebee's. <laughs> yeah. And I did have a chance to have fried cheese curds at, a, at yes. multiple places. Perfect. I think the ones at the Harley Davidson Museum were my favourite. That is the most Wisconsin thing anyone could ever say. I went and had fried cheese curds at the restaurant attached to the Harley Davidson Museum. I love it. And then we all took pictures of ourselves riding the demonstration motorbikes. <laughs> Not a whole lot you can do in Milwaukee, turns out. <laughs> Hey, you met the Fonz? Yeah, Fonz, Fonz. Also, we also met the Bronze Fonz. Incredible. Oh, dumb. Uh, what a dumb city. Oh, yes. Uh, Rick Vicious gives $5. Says, Yats, do you think the Doom Eternal system is more enjoyable than the original recipe of kill by any means necessary? Bad, I can't punch to death. I'm, I'm not really understanding your meaning there, Rick Vicious. Um, well, Doom Eternal kind of has that uh, you need to circle through, like you kind of need to use your flamethrower and your freezing thing because killing enemies that way results in them dropping different collectibles, right? Yeah, I kind of would have preferred if that hadn't been there because it added an extra layer of having to think before I waded in. On the yeah. whole, I think I definitely prefer Doom 2016. Yeah, because Doom 2016 was more about, like, you needed to constantly cycle through your weapons because, you know, you never had... Which I think was good because that that sort of... That uh, uh, forcing the player to cycle through their weapons in that way as opposed to the way you didn't like in Ratchet and Clank, um, sort of uh, in that way, it's making you want to learn the best way to uh, to use each weapon and you never feel bad because you're neglecting another one because it's all like, well, I got to use whatever I have ammo for at the time. Yeah, I guess I just want to go from monster to monster and kill and kill and kill. Yeah. I don't have to worry about optimizing my strategies. Yeah. yeah. That's the whole, that's the boomer shooter way. <laughs> John Connor gives 550 Canadian dollars and says, the perfect gameplay loops are those that are shorter in scope. Example, fighting games, arcade rhythm games. Fighting games certainly are games where they do have to place a lot of emphasis on the primary gameplay loop. Yeah. I'm trying... Yeah, I guess fighting games have a primary gameplay loop. Yeah, you punch people. You punch people, yeah. You hear satisfying noises when you punch people. Yeah, yeah. Made by some foggy artist with a lot of hammers and a lot of watermelons. How do you feel about... um, this is a topic uh, Jamate's talked about before in Design Delve, but um, positive and negative feedback loops. Um, positive being uh, the better you do at something, the more you're rewarded, or the worse you do at something, the, the more you're punished. Whereas negative feedback loops are the better you do, the, the more you're punished, or the worse you do, 
the more you're rewarded. So like the the ones that right. always come to mind are Call of Duty kill streaks are positive because you kill a bunch of people and then you get perks for doing to, to do more kills. And then the negative one is like the, the, the items shell. Mario Kart. Yeah, the blue shell. The yeah, blue that's shell something. I think yeah. Game Makers Toolkits talked about this. Jamates talked about this. But those are almost like sub ideas within gameplay mm. loops. Hmm. It's funny. It almost feels like it depends on what sort of setting you're in, especially if it's a multiplayer setting. Because the blue yeah. shell shit is kind of bullshit, but it means everyone stays on the same level and and can have fun. Yeah. I mean, there's also, like, I, I'm not a fan of, I mean, as much, like, I love Bloodborne to death, but I don't like the sort of the blood vial system of I am punished for failure, more so than just being sent back or losing my, my souls or my, my yeah, blood. Yeah, that or problem with the Bloodborne system. Just, yeah, yeah. Just give us five Estus flasks at the at the bonfire. That works. Yeah. Don't yeah, mess with success. Like, you're making me afraid of failure, which isn't great. Don't fix what ain't broke. Yeah. Uh, Will Cooling, member for 35 months in tip jar. Thank you, Will. Mm-hmm. Metal Gear cool. Luke gives $2 and says, go buy a Slim Jim Savage. They are delish. Okay. Ooh, is that like a Slim Jim, like a meat stick? I, I have no idea. I don't know what they're talking about. I assumed it was a Milwaukee thing. Uh, I mean, I know like a Slim Jim is like a, a meat stick. That's like an American meat stick. The like Macho a pepperami. Man Savage. Like a pepperami. Exactly like a pepperami. I don't know what makes these savage, though. Uh, Camden Ninja gave us $5. Says, what surprised you most meeting each other in person? Does Yahtzee drop the accent when he's off camera? Is Marty actually two kids in a big coat? I am two, big, two kids in a big coat. Uh, you're, ta- you're tall. Like, I, I knew tall. you were tall. You, you, you've said your height before. And I'm pretty tall, but but you were taller than me, which yeah. is exactly how that works when you're taller than someone. Yes, <laughs> I was it's hard to that. tell. Hard to tell with these little webcam views, but Marty's quite a large man himself. Yeah, exactly. And I am indeed very tall. Yeah, and there's a lot of there's a lot of there's a lot of small folks. Like a lot, of, a yeah. lot of the, like half the staff is small folks. Yes, Amy is a tiny, tiny thing. And Amy's what tiny. we learned of the trip is that she could kick all of our asses and ask for more. Yep. That was was a big takeaway. She's very, very fit, and uh, she has a very forceful personality that I was surprised by. I mean, on (laughs) on the day we went to the Harley-Davidson Museum in the morning, she was getting very mad at us. Mm -hmm. (laughs) She was going, I do not want to just do something I can do anywhere. We have got to do something today, or I'll kill you. She was something like that, but yes. And that that was very unique. Cheese curds at the Harley Davidson Museum is very unique. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. But yeah, it was thanks to her pushing us that we went went and did it. There you go. Because the rest of us were happy to just sort of go, no, can't be bothered. Uh, Where was I? Some random guy gives $5, says, was going to ask about games with two intertwined gameplay loops like Battle Chef Brigade or Atelier games, but guess you answered it. Cheers. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a unfortunate way to end your very first super chat, some random guy. YouTube tells us we have to celebrate this. I'm proud of you, some random guy. You're not some random guy anymore. You're yeah, a random guy. You're, yes, quite. Yeah. So I guess oh, that was the we'll... first one he's ever given anywhere. That's very exciting. Anywhere? 
I don't know. It just says celebrate the first super chat for some random guy, whether it's the first oh, one he's posted here or anywhere at all. I guess it's kind there. of fun. That was, maybe that was just their first words in all. Oh, well, congratulations uh, Will Cooling, on being born, some random guy. Uh, Will Cooling in the chat also said, you missed my member chat. Can you please say William is now a noob and Braden is still a goon? Okay. Go. William is now a noob. Braden is still a goon. I hope Sorry. that helps. I hope that Sorry helps to whatever William you needed Britain. to do. You think that's Prince William? Yes. Prince Braden? I don't think there's a Prince Braden. Might be Prince Braden. Might be one somewhere. Also, um, if Braden is a friend of yours, you should probably let them know that their parents spelled their name wrong. Yeah, they got some weird letters going on there. They need. I think they need extra cons- consonants somewhere. I'd probably get that a lot. Um... Alex Armstrong says, I understand your stance on continuity and tone, but is there any possible way Trilby can be in the Dita files? Even a vague mention will satisfy me. How do you know he isn't already in the Dita files, Alex Armstrong? Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, I like, I like referencing prior continuity, but I'd hate to feel like a reader who wasn't in the know felt alienated sure. by it. Sure. Is my usual yeah. stance. No one feels like they should have to do a bunch of homework before they engage with something. But little little nods, little little pokes, little winks. I'm a big fan of that. Rick Vicious gives two dollars and says, "Did you argue with Jesse as much while in person? Only when we were at the table, and that was in character because Grindabin is a very honest man, and Mortimer is the exact opposite. <laughs> Although we did get into some fairly heated arguments playing categories during the off hours because <laughs> we both." had some rather rather detailed arguments over what there you go what constituted a herb and what did not like a like in resident evil like a green green herb well you know how to play categories right i, I do you got to come up with a list of things that all start with the same letter that all fit different sure. criteria and one of the rounds we had to come up with stuff starting with i which is tough uh yeah in any case and one of the categories was spices and herbs Okay. And uh, what I came up with was Ivy. And I argued that whether or not uh, it's commonly done, one could reasonably take a piece of Ivy and dry it out and grind it up and use it as a herb. Sure, yeah. And then we got (laughs) got into a bit of an argument where he asked me to supply any situation in my past where I had used Ivy in that form. Well, just because you've never done it, it doesn't mean it, it doesn't exist. Well, no. I think morally, the victory should have been mine. Yeah. Um, yes, yes. thank you, Thurman Berman. I know Indica now. That's, <laughs> that's the first one I thought of, and I wasn't going to say anything. It's hard to think of things when you're under pressure. This is a drug-free zone here. When you're under timer pressure. Yes, categories gets... Yeah, you get nervous. It'll be like, think of a movie name, and I'll just be like, I don't, I've never seen a movie. I don't yeah. know any movie names. Yeah, I mean, we had one, uh, we had to come up with a game that started with O. And obviously, I know billions of games. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you'd be surprised how hard it could be to leave a one out under pressure when that time is going. I eventually settled on Outcast. Okay, we ever, Outlast? Wasn't, no, what Outcast. Else? Oh. Wasn't there going to be a sequel to that at some point? 
<laughs> Do I know what Outcast is? Outcast one of those old like uh, sort of rotoscoped adventure games, like the character. No, running? Outcast was uh, an open world voxel game. Open where you played voxel. a dude who'd been transported to an alien planet. Um. Oh no, I definitely don't. No, I definitely don't remember this. Infogram. Apparently, there was a remake by Big Ben. I don't know who uh-huh. that was. I heard there was going to be a sequel <laughs> at some point. Oh, Ants Pants in the chat says English ivy is an evergreen climbing vine, sometimes used to make extra extracts for medicine. Ha! Second, Jesse. <laughs> so you solved it. I hope you're watching, Jesse. <laughs> I should have gotten the point. <laughs> anyway. By Sharp gives 499 and says, Wow has been going in a killing and vengeance is bad narrative when the core gameplay loop is murdering people and robbing their corpse. <coughs> Thoughts? Well, quite. This is uh, something that comes up quite frequently in video games. Spec Ops The Line attracts a similar argument. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because the, the theme of the plot is killing is bad and it's kind of all you do. But it's also like an eight-hour game, whereas yeah. if that's the theme of, wow, a game you're expected to invest uh, weeks, months, years of your life into, that seems like a... <laughs> those those two things, I feel like, should be harmonious uh, as opposed to at odds with each other. I don't think it's that valid an argument. I mean, the argument is that the game is trying to... That by have the gameplay loop featuring doing X, that the game is somehow saying that X is a good thing to do. And I don't think that's necessarily true. No, in the same way that, like, uh, you know, fiction can portray bad people without, like, you can enjoy a, a character like Walter White or, or, or Jamie yeah. Lannister or someone who's really flawed and without being like, I approve of all their their actions. There you go. Like, yeah. the, the fact that it's interactive adds an extra sort of spice to it. Yeah, I guess that interactivity makes you feel complicit. Well, with, that, with that's what Spec happening. Ops The Line is doing, very deliberately. Yeah, yeah. But if again, if Spec Ops The Line was 100 hours long, I don't know if I'd want to. Like, I don't know. Yeah. If I was playing a giant open world game, I, don't, I wouldn't want to be punished for exploring. Yeah, I suppose like, if Spec Ops The Line was a live service where you had to grind up an endlessly repeated sequence of missions of murdering people in Dubai, the whole uh, central like thrust of the narrative would probably have been lost a little bit. <laughs> sounds like a genuine nightmare. Alex Armstrong gives $2 and says, can't find the jam reference in Galaxy for Food. Help? Uh, there's a bit in Galaxy for Food where the characters find themselves in a pickle and one of the characters says, looks like we're in a strawberry jam situation. And another character goes, I've never really understood where that phrase came from. Mm-hmm. That is the reference to jam in Alex Armstrong. In Galaxy for Food, Alex Armstrong. Like it's not a reference in Alex Armstrong. That would be weird anyway Charlotte the Prinny gives five dollars and says but homework can be fun I'm doing it for the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen I've, I've been enjoying some classic Victorian literature to me that's uh, different than homework because you can enjoy who the, the hell brought up homework uh, no 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 I mentioned um, when you were mentioning nods in your books to other books oh I see I was saying how those could be cute but if like they're if you need to do it it's almost like if I want to watch the new Ant-Man movie, I have to watch 10 other movies beforehand. Um, yeah, that's But for, for, for like League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, if you end up reading the graphic novel and enjoying it, then you might be more interested in being like, oh, I want to learn about who these who Ellen Quartermain is. That kind of yeah, 
Alan Quatermain, the protagonist of King Solomon's Mines by Ryder Haggard. Fun fact. This guy, this guy reads. I don't know if I point in the right direction, but one yeah. of those guys reads. I remember playing The Curious Expedition. I remember how one of the playable characters was H.P. Uh, Lovecraft. And I was like, bullshit. He never left the house. Should have been Ryder Haggard. Yeah, showing off my classic novel props there. And I hope none of the other characters were people of color because H.P. Lovecraft would not have been thrilled being partnered with them. I think to remember he had a debuff related to that. Wait, like, so what wait, game is this? What is this? The Curious, ex, the curious Expedition. It's like a roguelike uh, story-based game where you have to explore a temple in a forgotten land. Perfect Rider oh, Haggard material, but because Lovecraft is internet famous, Lovecraft is one of the playable characters. And I think one of his debuffs is that he's racist, and if you put him in a party with a black dude, he, like, takes a hit. Incredible. Uh, I've never I've never heard of this game. I reviewed it ages ago. Yeah, it looks I think like they put out a sequel not too long ago. Oh. The developer Menchian and Mensch. That's a weird name. There you go. Uh, one last super chat. Abdel Corrales gives five fifty R dollars and says, "I am remembering Mortal Kombat. Everybody dies at the end of each fight, but nobody does." Yeah, Mortal Kombat has some very fucked continuity. <laughs> even more so since the last one, and they brought out that fucking Crisis on Infinite Earths plot, which basically said, "Hey, we've never cared about continuity before, and now it matters even less." It is funny that they. You know, the, the NetherRealm also makes the Injustice games, so I feel like they're literally like, what if we just do the thing they did at DC in order to fix up their gobbledygook? i got to think that that's what happened. Like, when they did DC versus Mortal Kombat, the crossover game, they caught some kind of disease, and that made them want to design their game stories like their superhero comics. Yeah. What happened? Uh, also, Honey Money says, Yahtzee, I've relayed the message to Jesse, because Jesse is currently streaming that you should have gotten a point. And Jesse replied that the point stands because that is English, Ivy. Oh, starts with an E. Fucking rules, lawyers. <laughs> Incredible. See, so, uh, yeah. It's funny because Jesse is very much the rules lawyer of the party when we play D&D. Yeah. I mean, I feel like every, every party needs one. Yeah. Can't have four agents of chaos. Yeah, he's... Uh made himself very effective in combat that lad yeah because <laughs> he's like he was like the only one of the party who'd actually played D before he's played Advent quite a lot of it yeah so understood before that adventurous nice started yeah well i think that's it for super chats Incredible. quite a few were coming in at the last minute there but we got through them all we did it uh thank you all for watching it's good to see you all again i was away for yeah. quite a while but now i'm back for the foreseeable future You'll never leave again. Well, I will, just not soon. Uh, I was Yancy Crusher. I was joined by Marty Sleever, as usual. Uh, there's more stuff from me this week. I've got a new Zero Punctuation that covers Dredge and Cheer, two island-themed games that have... Uh, oh, actually, that don't have the same number of letters. D -r -e -d -j. Yes, right. Dredge has one more. It's weird because it feels like Chia should be longer. I know. For a moment there, I thought they had the same number of letters, but apparently not. Yeah. Incredible. 
Uh, I believe I have an extra punctuation dropping for members on Thursday as well. So it's basically all back on schedule this week. Mm-hmm. Everything back yeah. to normal. Yeah. Oh, hang on. We haven't. We have to do HD toffee time. <gasps> HD toffee time. H. Oh, and later today, uh, Jesse, the aforementioned Jesse and Casey will be back at six p.m. Uh, playing a hidden gem, Sky Rogue. I don't know what it is. It looks like Star Fox, though. Is it related to Sky Roads, the old uh, PC indie uh-huh. game? I I don't know. I don't know what that game is, but uh, Sky Sky Rogue is. Um, it, it looks like someone made Star Fox, but without the anthropomorphic critters. Okay then. Let's appreciate HD Toffee. La 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 la. What else we got coming out this week, Marty? <laughs> Uh, we have all sorts of stuff for, um, for, for non-members, uh, you'll be able to check out, I believe today the new cold take is up, uh, check out that series. Frost is just killing out that series. Frost is doing great. Check out all of Frost stuff. Also check out, um, if you haven't over the past couple days, all of your GDC stuff, you had your, your interviews over the weekend with, um, the folks behind Neon White and Tunic and Not For Broadcast go up, and you're also oh, going to yes. have uh, like di- your diaries, uh, GDC diaries, that's a thing, right? Oh, yes, but and already available uh, to early access, I believe. Wonderful. Yes, you got yeah. to see Toffee's Willy there. Oh, no, not the Willy. Yeah, we'll have new episodes of Sign Delve uh, for everyone. Check those out. Um, and then all of our normal streams. We're back to it. All the normal streams this week. Also, Jesse, thank you so much with a raid of a party of, of 16. Um, Jesse said, I heard someone was talking shit about me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I'll do it again. <laughs> Fucking English Ivy doesn't count as Ivy. Also, this is the present that Jesse gave me. Jesse gave oh, everyone that's a present right. in Milwaukee, which is very nice. Jesse is too sweet. Yeah. Jesse got me. Oh some yeah, Side Quest Season Two. Sorry, speaking of Side Quest Season Two, thank you, George yes. Lucas. Uh, it is available for members. Um, it will be available to everyone on uh, Saturday, and uh, w- watch it because some some of your favorite uh, adventurers, nigh proper characters, are our main characters of this. God, we spoilers. Not Yahtzee. Yahtzee's spend, not one of them. We spend two weeks doing nothing but adventurers, nigh, and then once it's over, we just instantly forget about it, don't we? That's the amazing thing is like normally filming it, you're filming whatever an episode every week or every other week. Whereas now you're just done. Like yeah. the season but, finale of season three isn't going to air until like summer sometime. I don't know. Fall. Yeah. All of you season know. three is in the can. Just needs editing. It's- and God, by God, you're going to have to wait a long time for you to see the reaction to all the amazing, cool stuff that happens in the course of the campaign. Incredible. It'll be worth it. You'll get to watch, as the series goes by, you'll get to watch a slow motion deterioration over the course of the week as we all get very, very tired. Uh, Five humans just completely losing their mind. Yeah. Somehow we shot ten episodes in, like, less than that days. Yeah. Worth it. It was. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. No, it it was wonderful. It was a good season for Mortimer, I thought. He gets some, uh, he gets a bit of a significant plot focus in this one. Ooh. And we explore his troubled, mysterious backstory. Ooh. Okay, that's enough of that. I gotta go and uh, see if Dead Island 2 is installed. Ooh, you didn't hear that from me. You! Bargo busting! Uh. Bargo busting. I'm not busting nothing. Busting does not make me feel good. Oh, no. 
Well, I can't even speak to leave. Anyway, gotta go now. Bye, bye. Bye, bye. bye.